resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. Communication is down all over the country. Everybody was just rushing up to the closest high point. I'm just holding on for dear life here. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. The warnings were going up. The extent to which people took heed of the warnings is another question. Very much a wake-up call. People were prepared and that's why we've got less lives lost than we could have had. People need to know what to do and it's not difficult. We provide the right information to people and they can act accordingly. Pacific Kissing Was. Pacific Pacific Ufala must prepare. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared, where the Pacific comes together to share information that can save lives, save loved ones, and save livelihoods. I'm Aaron Carney. Coming up in this episode, while in many places officials plead with people to take disasters more seriously, in Samoa, officials are trying to reassure jittery residents. The importance of paper during a disaster, yes, paper, and what can we learn from a charity that builds the ultimate disaster survival and recovery kit? Disasters may be inevitable, but the loss of your life, your family, your home, your land or your village are not. So, let's prepare. Ten minutes after the earthquake, we had a loud bang and then just saw the sea rising up. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Pacific prepared. While many officials in the Pacific are desperate for people to take disasters more seriously, in Samoa, a concerted effort is being made to address a widespread fear of tsunami in the community. In September 2009, a magnitude 8.1 earthquake generated a tsunami that hit Samoa, American Samoa and Tonga, killing 189 people. Samoa was by far the hardest hit, with 20 villages on one island alone destroyed. Many in the Polynesian nation are still haunted by those events, and with minor earthquakes a common occurrence, some residents are constantly on edge. Newly appointed Assistant CEO of the Samoa Meteorology Division, Lutero Tavale, says the concerns are understandable. He told Pacific Prepared Samoa correspondent and Radio 2AP senior reporter Maui Liutumose that earthquake response is critical to tsunami survival. Depending on your location, various actions can be taken. For example, if you are indoors or inside the house, it is advisable to stay there, stay indoors, or get under a table or this just to get cover. Um, make sure you stay away from possible uh, falling objects as well as windows. Things that can cause injury or damage, for example ceiling fans, uh, ceiling lights and other sort of uh, objects. Uh, if you are outside, uh, it is advisable to uh, try and get into an open uh, space away from uh, buildings uh, power lines and other tall structures, electric posts and sort of stuff. Um, uh, sometimes earthquakes uh, happen while you are on the road driving mm. and sometimes usually you can't feel them because they are small. Uh, but in case of big ones, you need to stop the vehicle immediately. Do not uh, stop under, for example, bridges or over past bridges. Do not stop 
under trees and other tall structures, uh, as I mentioned, um, uh, electric posts, telephone posts, and those kind of uh, structures. Um, people living in the mountainous area, if and if you are around that area, uh, hilly areas, uh, watch out for uh, falling rocks uh, as well as landslides mm. and other debris that could be loosened by the sea. Mm. What causes earthquakes? Yes, it's a very good question. To start off, um, I would like to point out that the Earth has four major layers, uh, the inner core, the outer core, the mantle and the uh, crust. The crust is the, the outermost uh, layer of the Earth. And the crust is at the top of the mantle, which make up uh, more like a thin skin of the surface uh, of our planet. But this uh, skin, as I mentioned, is not uh, all in one piece. It's made up of many pieces like a puzzle covering the surface of the Earth. Mm. Uh, not only that, but these uh, puzzle pieces keep slowly uh, moving around, uh, sliding past one another and bumping into each other. Uh, we call this um, information, we call uh, the scientific uh, name given to these uh, moving pieces, uh, tectonic plates. And at the edge of these uh, plates, uh, uh, they are called uh, plate boundaries. Uh, we learned this in uh, college and high school, the, uh, the plates boundaries. So the plate boundaries are made up of uh, many faults and most of earthquakes around the world occur on these uh, faults, they call fault lines. Mm. So since edges of these plates are rough, they're very rough, they get stuck while uh, the rest of the plate keeps moving. Finally, when the plates uh, have moved far enough, the edges unstick on one of the faults, and there is, therefore there is an earthquake. So it's uh, basically caused by the movement of um, uh, movement of tectonic plates, as I mentioned, uh, which uh, cause the shake uh, when they uh, stuck or uh, moving, trying to move past uh, one plate, past uh, the other plate. Thank you. Um, how do earthquakes create tsunami? Yes, um, for information, um, earthquakes, tsunamis and volcanoes are naturally occurring phenomena which exist within an interlinked geophysical system driven by the Earth uh, in general uh, and rustal process. So each phenomena is associated with the other, either directly or indirectly. And for the case of tsunamis, the, the nature of different tsunamis is determined by the magnitude and the extent of their sources of origin most commonly by shallow submarine earthquakes and volcanoes. So when the plate moves, the sudden vertical displacement over such large area disturbs the ocean surface uh, and then displaces the water and can generate uh, tsunami waves. And then these waves can travel uh, mm. far distance, uh, great distances uh, from the source of uh, earthquake. Uh, as they approach islands like Samoa, this uh, body of water start to peel up. So by the time they reach our shore, it's uh, peeling up and then uh, form up tsunami that can cause uh, significant destruction along the, the coastline. It's more like 
the general waves, but this one travels from far distance. Mm. And it is caused by a vertical displacement in the surface water because of uh, underwater movement of plates, which in this case because of earthquakes. After the 2009 earthquake and tsunami, people continue to panic at any time they feel an earthquake, thinking that there will be a tsunami afterward. What is your concern? Yes, um, the 2009 tsunami was uh, a very uh, new uh, event or disaster to most of us Samoans living this time. Mm. Uh, so um, the 2009 tsunami was uh, it's a very uh, special event uh, because of the amount of uh, casualties and damage uh, that caused, particularly to the southern coastal areas of Samoa. So for now, we try to make sure that people are well aware of different scenarios. Um, so after the 2009 tsunami, the government of Samoa uh, saw the urgent need to establish uh, national efforts uh, that should focus on preparing communities to be able to withstand impacts of future disasters. Uh, government of Samoa and Samoa majority put in a lot of efforts to enhance our capability in terms of early warning and building community and public awareness. Uh, our concern now is to improve our capability to provide effective and efficient warnings. Um, mm. uh, we are pretty much focused on the early warning system. Just to put some uh, sense of trust and uh, reliable to the people. Uh, make sure that they trust our services and they understand how to respond in different uh, events or in uh, different scenarios. Uh, There's also a need to train and equip the, particularly the villagers mm. that shall be more polite to respond in, respond in times of uh, disaster. So people are still worried and um, thinking that the 2009 tsunami was still a new uh, event. So, I think that's why people are still in a very panic and uh, situation. But we work together with them, the communities and uh, our partners, trying to relay the message. And as I said, um, we prove uh, we enhance our capabilities. Mm. We try our best uh, using the state-of-the-art technology to give them some sense of trust, so to trust the government and our service, to make sure that to listen to the official warnings, not to panic. So wait for us to give uh, official information. But remember, first warning for a tsunami is an earthquake. Mm. Um, and we have worked a lot and built our standard operation procedures when to issue a tsunami warning, based uh, information based on the magnitude of earthquake. So. We also relate to them the information of the first warning. Once there is big earthquake, don't wait. Go to uh, a higher ground. So it's still an ongoing uh, collaboration between us, uh, the government agencies, response agencies, and the community. Try to build awareness and make sure when and how to respond in case of uh, another tsunami. Let's hope we never see a tsunami like 2009 again. And let's hope, if we do, everyone is much better prepared. 
Newly appointed Assistant CEO of the Samoa Meteorology Division, Luteru Tavale, there speaking with Pacific Prepared Samoa correspondent and Radio 2AP senior reporter, Maui Liutumose. Be informed. Be ready. Pacific Prepared. In a recent episode of Pacific Prepared, we brought you the extreme weather outlook for the remainder of 2021 from the first ever Western North Pacific Regional Climate Conference. During a discussion between Pacific Prepared Micronesia correspondent Bernadette Carrion and conference speaker Landon Idlet from the Weather Forecast Office in Guam, we heard about the importance of getting good quality information and acting on it well before an extreme weather event or unexpected natural disaster unfolds. We wanted to share a little more from that fascinating discussion. How prepared are we for what is to come? I hope we're very prepared, but that's why uh, the weather agencies work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because we have to watch and monitor things across the region all the time for any disaster that may strike. Typhoons, you can see them coming days in advance, uh, and just usually a good amount of time to warn people and have people get prepared but earthquakes and tsunamis they can come with much less warning much less time to prepare so we have to make sure year-round we in this micronesia west pacific region should be uh, some level of prepared and weather aware weather updates can be very technical sometimes the regular people cannot understand it so how do you help with a better communication strategy that's a great question, and that's been my passion since 2017. The Weather Service as a whole, uh, for most of its existence, has been focused on science and technology and putting out the best forecasts. But the Weather Service meteorologists are not always the best communicators, and that's where the tricky part is. If we're putting out the best forecast to the community, but the community does not understand what we're telling them, we have not met our goal to protect life and property. And that's our number one prerogative in the National Weather Service is to protect life and property. So my interest and my passion for a number of years now has been to find out where people get their information from, what information they're looking at, and where the weaknesses are. Uh, Is it understanding? Is it content? Is it the science, the technology, or the communication? And time after time, It's the communication. What are we telling people? And so we have to put things in a plain language uh, wording so that everyone can understand the forecast, the bulletins, the the dangers. And so we in the weather service are starting to change our bulletins to be more impact-based, telling people what to expect and what kind of impacts they can see with a certain weather situation. And so we're looking on plain language communications. And so the best way to provide that feedback is go to our Facebook page and let us know if you don't understand something, send us an email because we definitely want to talk with you and find out where the weaknesses are and where we can improve. I want your feedback because I don't care if it's positive or negative. The positive feedback is always great, but the negative feedback tells me what works, what doesn't work and where we can improve. And so I'm always looking to improve our products and services in the not just on Guam, but across all of Micronesia. What message do you hope people will spread about what is to come in the next few months? I don't care too much personally for numbers because we can have a, an El Nino climate pattern 
and fully expect a lot of weather in the region and not get a single hit. On the other hand, we can be in a La Nina climate pattern and expect very little activity and you get one storm ravage an island and that makes it a bad year for those people that were ravaged. Um, so I don't like to emphasize the numbers so much, more so than we're looking at a busier year than last year and one of those storms could hit the island. So always be prepared. Know where you're getting your information from, know who you're talking to and have preparedness plans in place, whether it's uh, extra supplies on hand to go for several days without water and communications. Because if an earthquake strikes Guam and we're out of power for two weeks, um, there's little time to prepare for that. That's something that anyone can do across the region. Pacific Prepared Micronesia correspondent Bernadette Carrion speaking with conference speaker Landon Idlett from the Weather Forecast Office in Guam immediately after the first ever Western North Pacific Regional Climate Conference. And he's talking there about a go bag, the very thing we've been trying to help you create here on Pacific Prepared. Helping you stay safe. Pacific Prepared. When disaster strikes, you may have to evacuate quickly and be away from your home for some time. So, disaster authorities recommend making a kit with some essential items you will need if you have to flee your home. These are commonly known as go-bags. Your go-bag should be brightly colored and easy to carry, something like a large sports bag or backpack. Some go-bags have a lot of items and can be quite expensive. Some cost almost nothing. Each episode, we will bring another item for your go-bag and you can decide if it is right for you and how you can make it work. Sadly, in some disasters, you can lose your home and everything in it. But having photocopies of important documents can help you get back on your feet. They can also help when registering for emergency assistance. Everyone will have different precious documents, but some possibilities include Passports, mortgage, rent or landholder documents, birth and marriage certificates, immunizations, and medical papers, and qualification papers. Keep these document copies in a waterproof bag or container. Write down important numbers dates or other details onto paper and keep them with these documents. If you get warning of a disaster with time to prepare, you may wish to add some precious photographs or heirlooms to your go bag. Do not take any heavy items. Listen in next time for another item that will help make you ready to go. This information has been drawn from various sources, including the Red Cross, the United Nations, and government agencies. Be informed. Be prepared. Pacific Prepared.
Kevin Marai from NBC Papua New Guinea helping you create your go bag. You might not think that paperwork could be critical in a disaster, but that's why we act now, not when danger threatens. Look around your home. If you see something that would help you in a crisis and you can spare it, add it to your go bag. Everyone's go bag will be different, but think about what you can put in yours and listen to previous and upcoming episodes of Pacific Prepared for more ideas. Start your go bag now. It was a terrifying night. Everything was shaking and getting pounded by debris. We had to make sure they have a safe shelter and drinking water. Helping you stay safe, Pacific Prepared. From survival in a bag to survival in a box. Shelterbox is a charity that builds the ultimate disaster survival and recovery kit, often packed down into a single box, and they've been doing it for 21 years, helping out during more than 300 disasters and crises across the world. So what can we learn from their experience? What have they discovered about disaster survival that we can apply the next time one strikes? Capital FM 107 Vanuatu's Kareem Maher and I connected with CEO of Shelterbox in Australia, Mike Greenslade, and started by asking him how to explain what Shelterbox is. Shelterbox is an international disaster relief charity. The idea of a a Rotarian some 21 years ago in in Cornwall in the UK, the concept was to come up with an aid package that would help families who've lost everything in uh, natural disasters. That came in a shelter box, hence the name of the charity and organisation. In those original boxes, the main thing was was shelter. So it had a family-sized uh, tent, other essential items that people might need to survive that emergency phase. So things like blankets and ground sheets, water purification equipment, solar lights, toolkit for repairing your, your home, was a children's activity pack, mosquito nets and um, a kitchen set. So all those items could be customised and and packed to suit the different needs of of people. And boxes were stored at various locations around the world ready to deploy at short notice. Could you explain how, how a shelter box sort of rolls out to someone in need? Although we are still called shelter box, the boxes are not the only thing that we supply. We are specialists in emergency shelter, and uh, in some cases, a, a response might require a box. In others, it might be a shelter kit, standard piece of sort of Red Cross equipment with tarpaulins, uh, tools, and uh, fixings. So things like roofing nails and different types of uh, woodworking nails, rope, uh, tie wire. We might supply those shelter kits along with some of the items that would have been found in the box. So, for instance, uh, in in Vanuatu. Last year, after Cyclone Harold, we, we supplied shelter kits with solar lights, kitchen sets, and um, and blankets. And we've got 21 years now of, of experience in the field. We, we've learned over time that uh, well, no two disasters are the same, and and therefore having a, a sort of one size all fits kit is not really appropriate. So we we spend a little bit more time nowadays on the ground talking to uh, those in need and finding out what they want and what they need, and then we can tailor the aid to suit that. Are there shelter boxes and shelter kits sitting all over the Pacific right now? Um, n- no, not in, the, not in the Pacific. So we're, we're a member of the um, 
United Nations Humanitarian Response Depot. Uh, and that is a series of warehouses that they're generally dotted either side of the equator. I think the nearest one to the Pacific is um, in Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur. And we store aid in those those hubs, and then they can be shipped out quickly when, when needed. What we have found in the past is that if we get too specific where we store aid, there's no guarantee that a disaster is going to happen there. So, so your response to any disasters, is, is that with just local authorities or where you, you'll have a representative on the ground and they'll say, okay, this is what we'll need. We don't need tents. We need more food or we need more uh, children activities kits, for instance. You know, have connections with people like the Red Cross and, and certainly in um, in Vanuatu's case, we our response there last year is a kind of a classic example of, of a partnership we, where we weren't allowed to deploy teams because of COVID. We had worked with CARE previously uh, during Cyclone Pam in 2015. So we had some good connections there. They've got long-term presence on, on Vanuatu. And, and because we had that history together, we were able to, to draw uh, a, an MOU and then we can, we sent aid in from Malaysia. Um, it's then handed over to, to care and they were charged with the distribution. Whereas normally we would send our own staff and volunteers, uh, normally a team of two to four people that would <clears throat> work with those other authorities. And it's, it could be a, another charity. It could be Rotary International that we're, we're a global partner with. Um, it, it could be the local government response, but we don't work on our own. We always work in partnership with um, other people and whoever might be charged with the disaster response. And um, we tend to just work in that emergency phase. And then, then we, we move on and, and leave it to others like care to help with the um, sort of re- recover long-term recovery. Mike, you must see a lot of damage from people who are ill-prepared for disasters how important do you think preparation is in surviving and or recovering from a disaster? It's almost like uh, prevention is a better than a cure, isn't it? The better people, uh, communities can be prepared, then the more resilient they will be. And, and obviously the Pacific is on the, the front line of, of climate change. Cyclones are becoming more frequent than they are stronger than, than the normal. So, um, uh, you know, I think that communities communities can certainly help themselves by taking some steps beforehand to make sure that their house or shelter, when they're you know when they're building it, to um, up the building standards if if you like. You know, like if you if you build a house in Queensland, then they have to be built to withstand a, a cyclone, and um, that means things like bracing of your your uprights and more nails in your roof, or using screws rather than the nails so that that stuff doesn't lift off when the wind wind blows. There's quite a lot that people can do. And I know there is a lot of work going on in the, um, in the Pacific on disaster preparedness. And what happens is that people haven't experienced those devastating events before. uh, And therefore it comes as a surprise. And and this happens here in, in, in Australia too, you know, it is really a case of, and one of, one of our old mottos is sort of plan for the worst and hope for the best. And the more that people can do to um, make their houses safe means that they'll, they'll be more resilient should those weather events happen. Capital FM 107 Vanuatu's Kareem Maher and I speaking with the CEO of Shelterbox in Australia, Mike Greenslade. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. 
Any views expressed here do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian government. My name is Aaron Carney. We will be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, please stay safe, share what you have learned here, and together we will help get the Pacific prepared. Thank you.